0: Let's turn together to 1 Samuel, and um, we're going to be turning to chapter 28, and it occurred to me as I was looking at this, I actually I actually thought about skipping this whole section because um, I've titled this series, Highlights from 1 Samuel, but this, what we're looking at today are really lowlights. Like, we're looking at the um, last 24 hours of King Saul's life, and there's no highlight. There's no good. It's, you know, so I'm going to try to pull this message up at the end before we crash. But it's not a happy, there's just no way to turn this into a happy message um, because of where his life ends up. Um, Y'all remember two months ago how the world was gripped with the submersible that went down to explore and view the Titanic. And then, of course, we know that it had imploded Um, down there five people lost their lives you could not pay me enough to get into a submersible and go down there and look at the titanic you couldn't pay me enough and these guys are paying like a half a million dollars to do that (laughs) Um, but i do understand the fascination it is it is an amazing story at least to me Uh, Over 110 years later, we're still looking at this story and there's so many layers of irony and lessons and everything that I do get the fascination. I've got a book called Ghosts of the Abyss and it's pictures of the Titanic before it took off and with all its grandeur and its pomp and luxury and all of that. And then uh, pictures of it taken under it sitting 12,500 feet below the surface of the water. In in the dark and the, just a wreckage. Um, and and it, it gives us a warning that all that begins well doesn't always end well. It it launched with such fanfare, it launched with such expectations and such promise and it ended so tragically. Well, that's actually a pretty good illustration of Saul's life. Um, his, his reign as king began began so promising and ended so tragically he was handpicked by God as the first king of Israel he was publicly anointed by the prophet Samuel as king and then he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to rally a fractured disjointed disunified nation together to fight their oppressors and under King Saul's reign Israel grew and expanded and and fought back their oppressors and they went through a time of, of strength and glory. His reign began with such promise. And then Saul got proud. Nothing shipwrecks a life like pride. Saul started caring more about what people thought about him than what God thought about him. He Disobeyed God's direct directions and commands. And then what we've been looking at, to just kind of frame it in a sentence, is he became obsessed with killing the man God chose to succeed him. In other words, he was on a collision course with God's will. Somehow he was hoping he could do he could he could overcome God's will. So he was on a collision course with God and I believe at any point in time he could have changed the course of his life. Not that he could have gotten the kingdom back but he could have humbled himself. He could have repented of his sin and he could have changed course but instead what we see Saul do is he hits the throttle up faster. And so chapter 28 as we come to this chapter we're and we read the last 24 hours. This is basically the 24 hours as Saul was rushing towards the iceberg of God's immovable will. And it's going to sink his life into the depths. Let's begin by reading verse 3. First Samuel chapter 28 verse 3. Now Samuel had died. And all Israel had mourned for him. And buried him in Ramah. His own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. And Heavenly Father, we ask you to speak to our hearts. To draw us closer to you. To deal with our hearts as we go through this passage. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In one of his better moments, Saul had all the witches, the mediums, the necromancers, those that talked to the dead. He had them cast out of Israel. He made it illegal to do these things. That was a good moment. That was a good move for Saul to do. But verse 5 goes on to say, When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Saul has ignored God's voice for decades now. And now as he faces a massive threat and his heart is afraid, God is silent. And all the ways that God used to speak to Saul are not working. It's a scary thing when God stops talking to you. It's a scary thing when God stops talking to you. Someone might say, you know what, I'm going to do what I want now. I'm going to live the way I please now. And then when I get older, then I'll give my life to the Lord. And they might find that later as their life is on a collision course with an iceberg, they're not able to change course. It's, it might be that they have hardened their hearts and their, they have hardened their ears and God has said, I have spoken to you, I have spoken to you and you've ignored me and you come to a place, I'm not saying this is always the case, but it's a danger where you can't change course. Ignore God's voice long enough, God may stop talking. And the Bible warns us in Hebrews chapter 3, 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Saul hardened his heart over and over and over again for years and years and years and years and years. Dead set against the will of God. And now, the heavens are like brass. And what Saul does next goes against everything Saul knows to be right. He looks for a medium who can contact the spirit of Saul, or of Samuel, for him. Verse 7, let's read it together. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that is, a, some translations say witch, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So, oh yeah, if you remember last week, David inquired of the Lord. Saul inquires of the dead. He's trying to hear from the dead. How is it that Saul, who started out so well, gets to this point? The night that the Titanic sank, the wireless operators received numerous warnings that there were dangerous icebergs ahead. But they were so busy relaying messages from wealthy passengers to friends and family in New York that they ignored those warnings and never passed them on to the captain. The warnings were there for Saul. The warnings were there for Saul. I'm not going to go over it all, but if you look back, remember when he thought he had David and he said, Now the Lord has given David into my hands, and then the Lord takes David out of his hands? And gives David the opportunity to kill him twice and he refuses to? Those were warnings. God ain't with you in this. But he ignored them and ignored them. He pushed back against them. He put the throttle up. Let's go faster. Maybe that will get me in the right direction. And at any point Saul could have repented. But he didn't. Now he's at a point he's asking a medium who he just cast out of Israel and made illegal... He's asking a medium to contact Samuel's spirit from the dead so that he can hear what he should do. Does anything about that sound a little off to you? To the surprise, I I have a theory. I think that the medium was one of these, like mediums are, charlatans, and they'd kind of do things to kind of fake everybody out and make it look like they're But I think to her great shock, surprise, and fear, Samuel shows up. Samuel shows up, and she is frightened. And he comes with a message for Saul. And in a moment, we're going to get to that message. But first, I want to consider a weird question this story might raise for somebody. Is this passage telling us that it is possible... For us to talk to the dead. Now, I realize that's probably not something most of you are wondering about and thinking about, but I promise you, over the years, I have met people who have lost loved ones, not believers, and even once in a while, a a young believer who has lost a loved one and who has tried to find comfort. In believing they've gotten messages from their departed loved ones. My question is, can they point to this Bible account to justify that? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Can they justify seeking guidance from the dead or messages from beyond the grave from this story? And there are some who have found comfort feeling like a a lost loved one is speaking to them from the other side. And it's in the Bible. In the 1960s, Episcopalian Bishop James Pike began to see strange poltergeist activity in his home and he became convinced that it was his son who had committed suicide and that his son was trying to communicate with him. And the guilt that this bishop felt because his son and he were had a horrible relationship and he uh, was felt responsible to some degree for his son committing suicide. He became desperate to hear from his son. He became desperate to communicate and to somehow reconcile his relationship with his son And so he began to look for mediums to help him understand what his son was trying to say to him through these poltergeist activities. And so he held a televised seance, nationally televised. And he wrote a book about his efforts, a book I read back in the 70s, about his efforts to communicate with his deceased son, and it was called The Other Side. This was a bishop. Does the Bible say, does this story indicate that we can and should seek messages from the dead? Some believe the apparition that appeared was not really Samuel, but I think it was. I think it was. But what do we do with this? The reason, one of the reasons I want to go into this, not that I think a lot of us are thinking about this, but some might be at some time. But more importantly, what do we do with difficult biblical passages? How do we interpret them? What do we do with them? And I think a very important interpretive principle when we go to the Bible is when we come to a passage that is really difficult to understand, and there are some in the Bible, really difficult to understand, and maybe seem out of sync with other biblical principles and passages, here's a principle I want to encourage you to keep in mind. Always let the clear passages of Scripture interpret the hard-to-understand passages of Scripture. The cults build whole doctrines on little snippets of scripture that that might be hard to understand but they take that little hard to understand passage and build huge doctrines and and practices and religions on that and that's what cults do so always interpret the difficult by going to the clear this is a one-off you you don't find you know moses talking to the dead and 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 others um you have Jesus talking not to the dead, but to the glorified Moses and Elijah. But for a dead spirit to come up from the grave, this is the only time. So that tells us right away, this passage is not trying to teach us a lot about the afterlife. This is not meant to teach us about, yeah, we should talk to the dead. That's not what this is. So here is a clear couple of scriptures to explain to let us know, should we talk to the dead? Well, here's one from Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 12. God says this, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. That was, that was one of the horrible sins where they would actually sacrifice their, their kids to their gods, or anyone who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. And you notice it does not say that there's nothing to those things. You say, well, I saw something move in my house. Or I met with her and she told me weird things. The, the stuff is demonic. The Bible doesn't ever say there's nothing to it. He says it's detestable. Stay away from this. And it includes those who bring up the dead to talk. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 6. As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Very clear. Very, very clear. The Bible tells us when someone dies, we miss them, we love them, we don't try to talk to them. And Saul knew these passages. He knew these verses. But his life is set on a course of disobedience to God. He's so used to ignoring the warning signs that when he comes to a place he says, I don't, I'm not hearing from God. He goes to the exact wrong direction and out of fear tries to bring back the spirit of Samuel. Now, let's, now his goal is to ask Samuel what he should do. He's facing an enemy that's massive, threatening him. It's like your life is in danger. Your people are in danger. What do I do? Let's hear what Samuel has to say to him. Verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me? since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. I want you to notice something about Samuel's message. He, Saul was asking, Saul, Samuel, what should I do? That's why I've called you up. Samuel does not give him any direction. He doesn't tell him what to do. He does not offer him any hope. He comes with a dark message God has become your enemy the Philistines are going to defeat Israel and one day from now you and your sons will die there's no hope in that message there's no glimmer of but if you have 24 hours to live can you imagine getting that message can you get it, imagine getting that message on top of God has become your enemy? Now, God is the God of second and third chances. But there isn't the smallest light of hope in Samuel's message to Saul. I told you, this is a low light message. There's no way to spin this with a happy face. Samuel, you are headed for the iceberg. You have made a wreck of your life, and nothing can change that now. And the hopelessness of Samuel's message fills Saul's heart with terror terror. So much so, he's paralyzed. Verse 20. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. At that point, the medium tries to get him to encourage him, get him to eat. His men try to get him to eat. He is so full of terror. He can't move. He has seen his future, and it is nothing but doom. To close the loop on the story, chapter 31 tells us what happened the very next day, beginning in verse 3. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his own sword and died with him. They killed themselves. Saul was mortally wounded. He was going to die anyway, but he didn't want to fall into the hands of his enemies for them to mistreat and abuse him. Verse 6, thus Saul died and his three sons, including Jonathan, who was a dear, dear friend to David his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. I'm sorry, but there is no happy message I can derive out of this. The best we can do, and I believe it's a good thing, is to look at the wreckage of Saul's life. To look at the haunting promise and the wreckage he made of his life and resolve we don't want to go there so in this passage in this story there is no good news but if we take a step back and we look at the entirety of scripture we find a wonderful story, and we find a wonderful lesson, and an awesomely positive message we can get from this sad story. We don't want to make a wreckage of our lives. Here's what's awesome: God doesn't want us to either. God doesn't want us our lives to end this way. Second Peter, verse three. I mean, chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is God so patient? Why does he allow time to go on? Why does he allow Saul to go on so long? He is patient because he doesn't want any to perish. He wants repentance. He wants people to turn from the wrong direction and he gives opportunity again and again. God doesn't want anyone to make a wreck of their lives. So he gives time and he is patient and he offers exit ramp after exit ramp for us to heed his word and his warnings and repent. And repentance is this wonderful thing where we change course from disobedience to God to obedience to God. From a life pointed away from God to a life pointed towards God. I don't know if Saul was saved or not. That's, that's above my pay grade for anybody. I mean, I can't, I don't know that. And so I'm not going to give any speculation on where his eternal soul is. But we know this, he sure made a wreck of his life. We sure know that he made a wreck of his kingship. And uh, so here's a warning uh, for those of us who are believers, Christians. We can make a wreck of our lives too. We can If we consistently point our lives and our choices away from God, toward the flesh, instead of toward the spirit, towards disobedience, instead of towards obedience, we can make a mess of our lives. Come on. You know some people who've done that. And they love the Lord, and they're sincere. And they're going to heaven, but their lives are a mess. They've made a wreckage of their lives because of choices consistently taken in the wrong direction and the warnings came through and the warnings came through maybe a sermon here and a sermon there and the bible verse spoke to them and god spoke to them and the holy spirit spoke to them and they ignored it and they ignored it and they said "Ah, tomorrow i'll change tomorrow i'll change tomorrow i'll change and paul says in galatians 6 and i'll be honest i've been challenged to look at this a different way and I don't have time to get into a whole lot of teaching, but I do think it makes a little bit of sense where he says in Galatians chapter 6, he's talking about sowing and reaping. Remember that passage? And that we sow, we reap what we sow. And he says, those who sow to the flesh reap corruption. Those who f- sow to the spirit reap eternal life and a great harvest. And I was thought that that was saying those who sow to the flesh go to you know, hell and basically die eternally. But I'm wondering if it's true that there are believers who sow to the flesh and they reap a decay in their life. They reap a corruption in their life. I think that makes sense. I think we've seen that. we probably all experienced it to some degree. But those who reap to the, and sow, those who sow to the spirit, Paul says, and don't grow weary of doing good, you will reap a good harvest, Paul says. So he's talking about what we reap in this life. What we sow, what we reap. What we sow, we reap. What we sow, we reap. We sow to the flesh. We sow to the flesh. We're going to reap corruption. That's all the flesh can produce. We sow to the spirit. We're going to reap a beautiful harvest. So God gives us time and he gives us warnings because he loves us and he wants to bless our lives. It's like a kid, a little kid walking out into a busy street and you run and grab them. You're not hurting their life. You're not trying to stop them from having their way and living life the way they want and freedom. You're trying to save their life. And that's God's heart for us. Jesus came to give us an abundant life, not a messed up life. And so repent is a good word because it means... Turning towards life, turning away from death and turning towards life. Turning from doom and turning towards victory. Turning from futility and turning towards fruitfulness. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Saul hardened his heart over and over again, but we don't have to. Brothers and sisters, we have the opportunity today. I want to take a few moments to those who uh, maybe are not believers maybe you're not a christian you don't believe in jesus and i believe god has a serious but also hopeful message in this for you as well and that message is this repent repent turn towards god in faith turn away from sin and turn towards god in faith listen to god Today if he, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, listen to him today. Now listen, like those wireless operators had all these messages coming in, I want you to tell my 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 friend there, my uncle here, my Wife there, we're coming, enjoying the filet mignon. We're having a great time. you got to get this message out. I'll be there in two days. Get this message out. And And they were just distracted, distracted, distracted. And so when the messages came in, iceberg, 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 slow down, be careful. They threw those aside. Filet mignon is good. We're having a great time. Hope to see you in a few. There are so many distractions today that can keep us distracted. But like Saul, every one of us is going to have our final 24 hours to live. Now, I know this is heavy. But this is true. We all have. Now, I don't want to know my last 24 hours, do you? I don't want to know. But we all will have it. We may not have the warning like Saul had. I don't think I do want it. And, and I, know, I know through trusting in Christ where I'm going to be, but I, I still like Woody Allen saying, I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. So, but if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, the day's going to come when you're going to look eternity square in the face. You're going to be looking at your last moments on this earth. And in that final moment, what will your hope be? What will your hope be in those final moments as you are on the brink of what? What? Well, your hope might be that that's the end of it. There's nothing. There's no life after death. Or maybe your hope will be that there's no judgment. There's just a white light that comes and takes you to a better place. Here's something I want you to think about. If that's your hope, your hope is that Jesus was wrong and you're right. Your hope is that Jesus was wrong when he said that only we can only be saved through faith in him. That no one comes to the Father except through faith in Christ. Your hope is that he's wrong. That those who don't believe in him perish. Whether you say it this way or not, your hope is that your grip on reality is Is truer and stronger than Jesus' grip on reality. You're banking that he got it wrong, you got it right. That the one man in history who rose from the dead never to die again was wrong. And you're right. That the man who never traveled more than a few miles but impacted the entire course of the world's history the only man who is there's no grave with his body rotting in it that somehow he had less insight into what's reality here and beyond than you do in other words in that moment what will you hope in here's my encouragement this isn't meant, this is, just, this is just real. This is just what the Bible says. Here's my encouragement to you. This isn't meant to be a pressure, manipulation, twist your arm. Face it now. Face it now. Don't wait till that moment. Face it now. Believe in that moment, many will be so paralyzed by a despair and terror because they will know that Jesus was right. So, I want to close with an appeal. Look into the claims of Jesus now. Examine them thoroughly, including honest answers to your questions. Not from the biased viewpoint that I want a certain conclusion, so I'm going to look at this through a certain grid so I come to a conclusion. Just look at them and say, I just want the truth. Wherever the truth leads me, that's where I want it to go, and where I want the truth. Here's what the Bible says is the good news of the truth. And I want to close with this. God does not want any to perish. God loves every human being who has ever lived or ever will live with a love that we cannot even imagine. God does not want us to make a wreck of our lives. That's what Satan wants. He comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life, to make life free and forgiven and full and rich. And so we come to this passage so familiar to us. Maybe today you watch a football game and in the the audience you'll see somebody hold up a sign, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. That he so loved the world, not just some people, but the world, that he gave his son. He gave all he could to provide a way for us to be saved. He gave blood that only one person could give his life in our behalf, in all the universe. And he gave that one person to die a death, looking ahead to the joy. What was the joy he looked ahead? Bringing us with him into eternal life. That's the heart of God. And That's what I want to encourage. Those who, maybe you've never wrestled with the claims of Jesus, wrestle with them, please. And maybe you're a believer, but you realize that you're not walking in the direction he wants you to walk in. Repentance is a beautiful word because it just means changing direction. Don't put the throttle up. Maybe if I go in the wrong direction faster, I'll get to the better place. No, it doesn't work that way. Jesus is reaching out today. He says this, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Reach out to him in faith and ask him to be your Savior. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> it's, it's hard to walk through a... a an unhappy passage like this. It's hard to kind of view the wreckage of a life and remember the promise it could have had. But I thank you so much that your word is not this hopeless view of wrecked lives. It is this hopeful, redemptive, loving story of God loving us enough to save us. Thank you for that, Lord. And I prayed that two things. For those of us, Lord, and we all have areas where we're sowing into the flesh and we're doing things we know, oh God, I know this isn't what you'd have me do. This isn't what you'd have me think. This isn't how you'd have me live. Help us, God, to have a tender heart. Help us to repent and and, and come back to you believing that you've got the best life imaginable in plan for us. Not necessarily the easiest, not necessarily the pain freest, but the best life imaginable, abundant life. And Lord, I pray for anyone either in this room or watching online who does, who's never believed in Christ, who's never, never even maybe sought the claims of Christ. And I pray that they would. I pray that, God, they would do business. They would consider seriously. All that Jesus claimed, all that Jesus is. Not Christians, not look at the church and the history and, well, they did that and they died. Lord Jesus, have them look at Jesus, I pray. And I pray that your spirit will draw them to the Savior so that they will see him who died on the cross and say, as Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Lord, we thank you for this day and we pray your blessing upon. I pray your blessing upon every single person here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good day. May the Lord encourage your heart in him.